Welcome to Cannabis Science Today. My name is Emily Feta, and this is a brand new podcast where we talk about all things cannabis and science. If you've ever walked into a dispensary and wish you had a scientist on speed dial while you're trying to choose between hundreds of products, or if you're just curious about some of the claims being made about CBD and whether the research substantiates them, this is the podcast for you. We interview a range of scientists across the fields of neuroscience, psychology, medicine, and biology who are working in the field and doing real research on cannabis. We cover topics like, how can cannabis help with my anxiety? How soon can I drive after smoking a joint? What are terpenes and how do they affect us? What is the difference between an indica and a sativa? What level of THC can our bodies actually metabolize? How can patients with epilepsy seem to respond to cannabis when nothing else works? So if you've ever wondered about these questions or so many more, stay tuned. We have a fascinating series ahead of us where we interview very curious researchers within the field, and they offer so much knowledge and wisdom about cannabis as a plant and what it can do for us as humans and as a society. I'm so excited that we are doing a two-part series on epilepsy. So we will be talking to two different scientists on this topic, specifically how cannabis can treat epilepsy. Today we are featuring Dr. Barbara Brett-Green, who is a psychologist who recently conducted a study testing the effects of medicinal cannabis on adults with medical refractory epilepsy. Next week, we'll be featuring Dr. Katherine Jacobson, who has a fascinating story and has done so much interesting research for the industry, but she was particularly instrumental in working with GW Pharma to launch the initial access to Epidiolex in the U.S. So if you're not familiar, Epidiolex is a pharmaceutical-grade medicine made from the isolated CBD or cannabidiol compound, and In the first study with Dr. Green, she was testing how cannabis tinctures and oils made from the whole cannabis plant um, could be used as medicine. So we'll get more into this in both episodes, but I think it's so important to look at both sides of the coin and to understand, um, to really understand this pharmaceutical grade isolated cannabidiol compound and and how it has been successful in treating pediatric epilepsy. But I also think it's so important to look at some of these whole plant cannabis tinctures and oils that are available to anyone in dispensaries and online now, and how these have been effective in also treating patients with epilepsy. So today we're featuring Dr. Barbara Brett-Green, a psychologist at Colorado State University in Pueblo. She studies sensory integration and sensory processing disorders among patients with autism and epilepsy. It was this research that led her to conduct a study on um, the efficacy of medical cannabis and its treatment and seizures in adults with medical refractory epilepsy, which we are going to dig into today. Dr. Green, thank you so much for joining us. And I'd love to start by hearing more about your background and what first piqued your interest in doing this research study with cannabis. 
I had an interest in psychology and the brain and studying the effects of drugs on the brain from a pretty early age, so prior to even high school. And um, so I went on and studied psychology as an undergraduate, and then I ended up going to grad school here at CU Boulder and studying um, kind of more of the neuroscience aspect of psychology. Mm -hmm. And um, mainly what I was doing was studying, um, using animal models to study how um, sensory information is processed and integrated in the brain using different uh, physiological techniques and anatomical techniques and kind of stemmed from an interest in sensation and perception. And um, after many years of working with animal models, I ended up um, having the opportunity to kind of translate my research to humans because it turns out that um, there are people in the world who have a condition that's called sensory processing disorder, and they mm. have difficulty with processing sensation and integrating sensation. Um, so I started studying um, people with sensory processing disorder for a while, and that led me to um, ultimately an interest in autism because kids with autism also have all kinds of sensory issues. Um, and then once I was studying autism for a while, I realized that many people with autism also have epilepsy. So I started studying epilepsy and basically discovered that it's, you know, by far the most complicated condition I've ever studied before. So that kind of piqued my interest. And right about the time when I was studying, um, learning about epilepsy, is when there was all the information coming out about um, potential medical benefits of um, cannabis for mm -hmm. epilepsy. So I started to learn about the plant, and it's an incredibly fascinating plant that has, you know, a wide potential for medical benefit for, you know, a bunch of different conditions, including epilepsy. And so that's kind of the, the path that, that led me to do the work that I'm doing now. Cool. Well, over the years, there has just been so much anecdotal evidence supporting the use of cannabis in treating epilepsy. And I'm sure everyone is familiar with the CNN documentary, um, which told the story of Charlotte Fidji, a young girl with Dravet syndrome, and she was using cannabis with great results. But it sounds like despite all this publicity in the mainstream, we were still lacking the scientific research and controlled studies to support this anecdotal evidence. Can you tell me more about this? Is your study one of the first scientific studies measuring the effects of cannabis on epilepsy? Um, you know, there was um, certainly research before mm -hmm. um, uh, the report of Charlotte Fidji that kind of pointed in the direction mm -hmm. of, of cannabis being useful for epilepsy. And um, certainly research has accumulated mm -hmm. since Dr. Ma published the article about his work with uh, Charlotte Fidji and who had, you know, a really incredible positive response, both in terms of her seizures and her quality of life to adding CBD to her treatment. Um, but there are, you know, case studies around that show, for example, that, um, you know, withdrawing cannabis can exacerbate seizures. There's also survey research that shows that, um, you know, a fairly large percentage of people that um, are part of an epilepsy clinic um, report using cannabis and having positive benefits from it. Um, there's also an observational study that was done down by um, people down in Denver. Um, that one was pretty interesting. It showed that um, parents of kids with epilepsy who were coming to Colorado because of the you know, potential to be treated with cannabis um, reported that they 
saw changes, benefits for um, the seizures, but um, that particular study didn't show that that was backed up by the um, EEG recordings. And there's even an early clinical trial that was done by um, Raphael Machulam and, and colleagues that, that again pointed to the benefits. So um, more recently, there's been the two randomized control trials. Um, randomized control trials are kind of considered like the gold standard for determining the effectiveness of the drug. And um, so there were two of those that were recently published um, looking at the effects of CBD on kids with two really severe forms of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome and, and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. And those studies showed that um, CBD was effective in um, decreasing seizure frequency in those kids. And those are um, some of the studies that ultimately led to the FDA approval for um, Epidiolex, which mm -hmm. is kind of a form of CBD. So, um, you know, the research has been building. My study is definitely not the first. Um, my study is an observational study, not a, not a clinical trial. Um, and, you know, hopefully what it's going to do is give us some more um, kind of real world um, information about, you know, sort of the real world medical cannabis use for the, the treatment of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is it like doing research when there is so much anecdotal evidence supporting it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's been interesting. Um, this area of research that I'm working in now has definitely gotten more attention than pretty much anything I've, I've done before. And, you know, so it's sort of everywhere. Um, but, you know, it's also concerning because um, of the lack of information that's out there for people who want to use cannabis medicinally. You know, we just talked about some of the research that there, but there's still, you know, a whole lot that needs to, to be done. And so right now, you know, in particular, for example, adults with epilepsy, there's not really good information out there for them about how they should approach, um, you know, treating themselves with medicinal cannabis. Mm -hmm. So before we dig into your research process, um, I'd like to discuss epilepsy in its different forms and, and severity. So what exactly is epilepsy and how do you define medical refractory epilepsy? So, <clears throat> so what epilepsy is, is a neurological condition that's characterized by recurrent seizures. And what seizures are, are basically like momentary or transient um, periods of aberrant electrical activity in the brain that's really excessive. Um, and there are um, two main forms of, of seizures. So one is called generalized and the other is called focal. And um, both of those can happen with or without a loss of awareness. Um, generalized seizures basically start um, on both sides of the brain and spread over the entire brain. And then focal seizures start in one part of the brain and they can either kind of stay sort of constrained to that area or it can spread also and become more generalized. Um, and there are many, many different signs and symptoms of somebody having a seizure that are basically dependent on, um, you know, where the seizure is occurring in the brain and how it's spreading and all of that. So you can have anything from, you know, if it's affecting a motor center, then you, the person might, um, you might see the person convulsing. Um, so there's a form of epilepsy that's called generalized tonic-clonic, um, and that's where you would see the recurrent um, repetitive sort of convulsions. Um, but there are other forms, for example, like um, absence epilepsy. It's another generalized form of epilepsy, and in that case, it's kind of characterized more by 
like um, staring spells and things. And okay. so there's a whole huge range of symptoms and all different kinds of seizures. And people can have multiple types of seizures. Um, there's many, many different types of epilepsy and many different causes for epilepsy. Um, and so, you know, figuring out um, what type of seizure somebody has and where it's coming from in the brain and how it's spreading is really important for treatments and picking the right medication and things like that. And um, for most people with epilepsy, um, their seizures are well controlled by medications, so about 70% of people. But for about 30% of people, um, their seizures are not well controlled by medication, and they have the condition that's called medically refractory epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And it's defined as um, basically the failure to control seizures after the trial of at least two different medications at, at therapeutic levels. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> um, that condition um, is, is really quite serious. Um, the, the people, um, you know, often don't have a great quality of life. Um, they're also at um, greater risk of death from something called SUDAP, which is sudden unexpected death in, in epilepsy. And so, um, you know, for these 30% of adults with epilepsy, there's a gap in, in treatment. And, and that's what's, you know, caused people to seek out alternatives like cannabis. Mm -hmm. And are there other factors why um, the medication might not be treating their epilepsy effectively, or is it just their condition, or something is happening in their brain or nervous system? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure why um, such a large percentage of people um, are not well treated by medication, and and also what seems to happen is that um, you know once you've tried two and they don't work, mm -hmm. um, you're kind of um, out of luck because the research shows that trial of additional medications usually doesn't work either. So there's just something about the condition that these people have that's resistant to, to treatment with drugs. And are all of the drugs and pharmaceutical drugs that are available are they similar in that way, or is it? Um, there's they have drugs with a whole variety of different okay. mechanisms in terms of how they work, and they would make choices about um, which ones to use depending on what type of epilepsy somebody has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, let's, we'll probably talk about that more later, but um, I do know, and you had mentioned Epidiolex from GW Pharmaceuticals, um, which, and they've been doing clinical trials, mm -hmm. correct, yep. to examine the efficacy of cannabis. But your study is using cannabis products from the realm of caring. Is that right? Well, so um, the realm of caring doesn't actually supply any products. Okay. Um, what the realm of caring is is a um, nonprofit that um, operates a patient registry, and they also provide support services for people who are interested in using cannabis medicinally. And they also um, do some independent testing of products, and so they'll you know make re recommendations about certain products. And, okay. Um, but they don't actually um, supply products. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. Let me rephrase that. So, so what cannabis products are you were you using for this study, and how is it different from the Epidiolex? Yeah. So, um, well, the reason I have the realm of caring um, is actually involved in my study, so that they can provide those support services to people, um, and so. Um, 
because my study is observational and not any kind of clinical trial, I can't control um, what the what the people take. Okay. It's basically up to them. Okay. And that's for a bunch of different reasons. One is, you know, the conflict in the state and federal regulations. Mm-hmm. And the other is because, you know, there's not really good information out there for me to say, hey, you should be taking X product and, and this much right. and however many times a day. That's kind of what we're trying to, you yeah, know, feel out yeah, at, yes. at this point. Yeah. And so... Um, so the realm of caring is providing those support services, and many of my participants, the vast majority of my participants, are kind of working with them to um, get product. And so in that case, um, most of the participants are using the CW hemp extract product. Okay. And um, in terms of how it differs from Epidiolex, so both of them are um, plant-based CBD extracts, but the Epidiolex is um, much more purified and highly concentrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it only comes in, you know, one concentration essentially, which is like 100 milligrams per ml. Um, whereas the CW product is also an extract, um, but it is also going to have some of the other components of the plant. So it'll have more of the, the terpenes and the flavonoids and even some of the other phytochemicals. Um, so it's considered sort of more of a whole plant type product in comparison to Epidiolex, which is, um, you know, very purified extract. Okay. And it's very purified CBD. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's interesting because um, there's something called the entourage effect, um, right. which is basically the idea that the different components of the plant kind of work synergistically. And so, um, you know, that's part of why we're kind of interested in, in looking at the effects that CW has on people with epilepsy, because it may be that um, ultimately we learn, you know, that it's a better option to have more of a whole plant than a super purified extract, but we don't know that yet. Right, right. So walk me through the research process. Um, How did you identify subjects for this trial? And what exactly did you study? And how much cannabis were patients consuming? Okay, so um, like I said, the study is an observational study, so not a clinical trial. It's really important to, you know, make sure that's clear right from the get-go. And um, in terms of um, recruiting participants, um, one of the main ways we did that was by advertising on the Realm of Caring website. So I get, you know, a lot of contact because of advertising there and also, you know, presenting some of the preliminary work at conferences and things. I've also talked to um, neurologists up and down the front range, including people like Dr. Ma. So there's been, you know, a lot involved with recruiting. And um, the way it works is that, um, you know, if someone meets our inclusion and exclusion criteria, then we'll enroll them. And the study um, lasts for six months. And um, we are, when people come into the study, they need to be cannabis free for at least 30 days. And then we ask them to remain cannabis free for another 30 days so we can get sort of a baseline on them. Um, And then over the course of the six months, we have um, three visits with people. um, And at each of those visits, they fill out a whole bunch of questionnaires And they also provide us with a urine sample. And then visit two, we do the same thing. And visit three, the same thing. 
Um, but the most important, really unique aspect of the study is that um, people are outfitted with, with what's called an E4. It's um, kind of like a fancy Fitbit that's made by the company Empatica. And um, it provides for all different types of um, physiological recording. Um, and so we ask the people to wear the Fitbit daily um, over the course of the six months. Um, it has on it um, a button that you can press. It's an event marker. So they can mark for us um, whether they've had a seizure, if they're aware they've had a seizure. Um, they can also start marking for us when they begin using cannabis and it you know, puts a mark in the data and lets us know exactly when they, they took that. Um, but what's really important about that is um, you know, people with epilepsy typically don't have their physiology monitored unless they're in the hospital. Right. And then it's only these you know, short little bursts of, of time um, when they're being monitored. Um, so we're, you know, expecting to kind of learn a lot of information just about what goes on physiologically for, for people with epilepsy on a, a daily basis. Um, <clears throat> and then um, the other part that's really important is the company has developed an algorithm um, around those variables that it collects. So it collects things like heart rate, um, temperature, motion, and sweating. And the company developed an algorithm that they can use to process the data for seizure detection. So they're actually, um, they're processing the data with that algorithm for me and producing seizure reports for me. So that's a really... Oh, wow. um, so is this company focused on making these Fitbits just for epilepsy patients or do they have a wider use? Yeah, that's a good question. So they actually have two products. So the one that I'm using in my, my study is more of like a research grade product, um, but they also have another product that's FDA approved, which is called, what is it? It's the Embrace Watch. And um, that particular device is more for, um, you know, your average family sort of dealing with epilepsy. And what it does is it real in real time, it will um, be monitoring those variables and that gets sent to the company and they will send um, an alert back to the participant and their caregivers if the wristband has detected a, a seizure. So um, the, it, it actually, the company started um, really as a way for um, people, parents of kids with autism who um, couldn't communicate, it was a way for parents to be able to look, kind of look on a screen and see what's going on physiologically. So they could wow. kind of see whether a kid was heading towards a meltdown or what they needed to do. Yes. Because that's one of the features um, that you can have with either of these wristbands is you can actually Bluetooth the information to your phone and you can see, you know, your, your physiological signals going by in real time. So, um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, um, it's not a perfect device, you know, so there's going to be false positives and things like that. But, um, in terms of just beginning the process of, of really studying, um, you know, what's going on for people with epilepsy on a daily basis. Yeah, that sounds like such an interesting technology. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that's interesting is, um, you know, there's reports in the literature that um, people... Um, you know, are, are really not very good at tracking their own seizures. And, you know, that makes sense because many times people are not aware they're having seizures. But but so, you know, I think there's this wealth of information about what's really going on for people that we're going to yeah, try and tap into. Yeah, when a patient is having a seizure, is it kind of a blackout 
moment in the brain? It, Does a patient usually have memories? Um, it can. It depends on the type of epilepsy, okay. you know. So it can be a whole variety of things. Some people remain aware during the course of their seizure, and then they would be able to report, "Yes, I've had a seizure." And other people are completely unaware, you know, um, that they've even had a seizure. Yeah. So it's really complicated. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm sure that's another topic entirely. <laughs> yeah. But to go back to the actual research products, um, how? So it, it sounds like you were not instructing patients to consume a certain amount of cannabis. It was really up to them. Yeah. How did you measure that? Was that through the urine samples? Yeah. So, um, I yeah, I literally can't say what they should be using or or how much because that turns the study from like an observational to an interventional type study. And so um, that's what the realm of caring, um, that's what their role was. So they were the people who were providing information to the participants about what to use and how much to use. Um, they have, you know, a very simple strategy, which is start low, go slow. You know, so most of the people started on, um, you know, pretty low dose um, twice a day. And um, ultimately, um, we use the urine test basically just to, to verify that they have um, product in their system that they didn't when they started and they do after, after the fact. But we're not um, controlling, um, you know, when we're taking it well relative to when the person last consumed or anything like that. Okay. It's basically just to sort of verify, yes, they... So it's kind of a zero or one. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so there were probably some patients who were consuming more... Yeah. Um, than others? Um, yeah. I mean, I think for, like I said, for the vast majority of my people, they're using realm of caring and we have the information about how much they're taking and how often, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, relatively low, mm -hmm. but there are, um, a couple of other people in the study who chose not to go down that route. And so they were using different product and different amounts and things. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so throughout the study, what were the main indicators that you were measuring? Was it just the frequency of seizures or the severity of seizures? Uh, so there's a lot of different things um, that we're measuring. Um, in terms of seizure severity, we're measuring that in a couple of different ways. So typically, the way that people measure it is by keeping a seizure diary right. and just giving a frequency of, you know, how many seizures out of 28 days mm -hmm. or, you know, roughly a month. Um, and so we have people um, documenting that to the extent that they're aware of having a seizure or their caregiver is aware of them having mm -hmm. a seizure. Um, we're also, there's also a, a seizure severity questionnaire that, that we give the participants, so we're tracking it that way. And then um, also with the seizure reports from um, Empatica. And, um, you know, I can't really say much about that because the right. study is still in progress mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, the first four-ish people that have been through the study and completed it. Um, on that questionnaire about seizure severity, uh, I think it was three of four of the people reported um, positive changes overall in seizure severity or intensity. And then there's another question on that form that asks about the bothersomeness of seizures, and four out of four reported um, that they perceive them as being less bothersome. Okay. And when it comes to um, you know the physiological data, which is obviously going to be you know more objective and 
Um, <clears throat> what I'm doing right now is kind of working on what's the best way to present that data because, um, you know, the sheer quantity, I, I have thousands of hours and hundreds of days of recordings from, right. from people. And so um, that allows me to get, um, I can basically calculate um, a rate of seizures that the person is having um, per minute and, you know, look over the course of the six months, mm -hmm. you know, how that's changing. And so um, that's kind of non-standard and I'm just trying to work out like what's the best way to sort of um, show that, that mm -hmm. physiological data. Mm -hmm. um, but there were other, um, other measures that we looked at as well. So we um, are also looking at quality of life. Um, we're looking at adverse effects, um, also um, anxiety and depression. Cool, so in all of these, just to confirm all of these patients, were unresponsive to traditional like, correct yeah medicine. all so they were in that category of medical refractory exactly epilepsy. yeah so why do you think and this might be speculative at this point so why do you think cannabis is able to treat these patients um, in ways that the current pharmaceutical drugs cannot um yeah that's a complicated question i think um i think cannabis has huge potential um you know as a medicine, not just for epilepsy, for lots of other things, in part because of um, how it works. So, um, you know, one of the things that it does is basically sort of regulate um, uh, synaptic transmission of a whole variety of neurotransmitters. And so that's you know, kind of an indication of of why it might be useful for something like epilepsy or or other. Um, conditions is because it's not just affecting one neurotransmitter system. It has the ability to kind of interact with a lot of different transmitter systems, some of which are, you know, affected in different, in different conditions. And also, um, the, um, endocannabinoid system in general is really important in terms of maintaining homeostasis, which is something that goes out of balance, obviously with epilepsy. So I think those are some of the reasons that mm -hmm. I think it's, um, potentially useful, um, especially for somebody who's failed on all of the traditional medications. Mm -hmm. So do you think cannabis is more of a preventative medication for epilepsy patients, or is it something that can be administered um, during a seizure? Oh, that's a really right. good question. You know, I've experienced both. So, um, you know, certainly we're kind of approaching it in a way where we're hoping to, you know, mitigate the, the seizures over time by, um, you know, consuming the cannabis. Um, but one of the people in my study, um, maybe even more than one, definitely reported to me that, you know, if they take a certain form, um, you know, when they maybe feel it coming on or when they've had it, um, that that will alleviate some of the symptoms for mm -hmm. them. So it can be used, I think, in both ways. Mm -hmm. um, probably depends on, you know, that particular person was consuming cannabis in a lot of different forms, um, not just the extract. Right. Yeah. And did that come up in the study? I remember reading something that you had found THC in one of the patients yeah samples and in fact um all of the patients are showing um some level of thc in in their system which makes sense because the products have some level of thc um and so yeah we're that we're that's you know allowing us to verify that that they have product on board mm -hmm. um but we're not really processing or taking um too much more out of mm -hmm. the urine analysis than than just the zero one, like you said. Mm -hmm. And were you able to identify any potential risks 
Are taking cannabis through epilepsy in this study? Yeah, so um, actually yeah, there's information in the literature about that it can interact with the um, anti-epileptic drugs. And so, um, you know, that's something we're super aware of. Um, We make sure that, um, you know, the people in the study are communicating with their doctor about what they're doing and that they're, you know, having their blood levels and things tested um, the way that they normally, you know, would to make sure that, um, that there's not, um, you know, excessive impact on those, on those medications. So um, there is... Were most of the patients still on other... Yeah, that was... In addition to the cannabis? Yeah, that was part, one of the criteria of the study is that we wanted people to be stable on their medication and basically just be adding this. Okay. Um, And was that because you also had that period where they weren't consuming the cannabis that month before? Um, or is that just going to be part of these trials and these experiments? Yeah, I mean, um, it wouldn't be reasonable to ask someone to come off of their anti-epileptic drugs to, to do this. And, right. And so, um, you know, for the people who are still having the breakthrough mm-hmm. seizures in spite of the medication, then um, it makes sense to add the cannabis and, and try that. Okay, so even though they're in that category where they're unresponsive to treatment, most of them are still using it um, yeah okay. yeah and it does it yeah does, does it mitigate the frequency of the seizures it's it, just not completely correct. successful yes okay yeah right. i think that was the confusing question. yeah no problem but are there patients who just have no response to these pharmaceutical medicines um yeah i mean there's cer- certainly yeah there's there's people who have tried you know probably upwards of 20 medications and oh. and not had any relief yeah okay yeah. So, yeah, it happens, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, so beyond kind of the factors that we talked about, what other interesting things did you learn from the study? Well, um, so let's see. Um, one thing I noticed that I thought was interesting, and I'm not sure, you know, how much can be made out of it because everything's still in progress, but... Um, I had some of the seizure reports produced for some of those first four people, and one of the things I noticed was that... Um, that the kind of the rate of seizures that they were shown to have sort of matched my perception of their severity of epilepsy. So in other words, the person who I thought had the most severe form of epilepsy also seemed to have uh, the highest number of seizures being reported. So that was kind of interesting. And when Um, you say the most severe type of epilepsy, do you mean? So this particular person, he had many different Types and all okay. different kinds oh, wow. of seizures, but he had um, like the uh, generalized tonic-clonic seizures, which are the really one, strong ones with convulsions and right. things, um, and also very frequent seizures and things. So, um, and and so you know that's what it looked like when I started you know beginning the work of looking at those reports. I thought that was kind of interesting, and then um, you know again for those first four people. Um, we looked at quality of life, um, and so that that form, um, you know, asked people all kinds of things like, you know, did you have any um, cognitive effects or emotional effects, and how bothersome is this to you, and what about the impact on your social activity or the restrictions on driving, and how does that all affect right. you? So we asked, um, we have that form, and... Um, Three, I think it was three of the four people um, showed an improvement in quality of life from visit one to visit three. And the person who didn't basically um, 
had sort of a less severe case of epilepsy and he reported um, pretty consistent and fairly high quality of life. Um, and then um, we also are looking at anxiety and depression. Um, and so I think in that case, all four people of the first group um, showed improvements in their anxiety and depression symptoms from visit one to visit three. Visit okay. one being the visit where they wouldn't have had any cannabis yeah. and two and, and three when they did. what do you attribute that to? Do you think it's because they have anxiety and depression related to their seizures or do you think the cannabis was actually part of treating just more generalized anxiety or depression? Yeah, I mean, I think, they're, I think um, they definitely do have anxiety and depression as a consequence of their condition. Um, and yeah, I think also they there's potential um, for cannabis to be treating the anxiety as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so tricky to pinpoint exactly what happened, but it sounds like it was successful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's really important. Um, you know, these this group of people, this 30% of people who can't get medications and they're still having their seizures, um, you know, you don't want to just let that go you know the people are are pretty desperate for trying right. to find something and you know they're reaching out to cannabis and yeah, it's certainly a positive if there can be some improvement in quality of life and you know your psychological state and things like that so yeah regardless of you know what's also going on with whether it's treating the seizures or not mm -hmm. yeah so we started this conversation by talking about um Charlotte, who I think was nine or ten, do you know how old she was? I don't remember exactly how old she was. Okay. I think she might have been younger than that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but I know that the patients in your study were quite a bit older. Yeah. So 28 through 64, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so why did you target that age demographic? And do you think that your results can be extrapolated and applied to these children, um, or, or, you know, or teenagers or of course, epilepsy affects people across all spectrums. Yeah, um, so um, the age range was really sort of out of necessity um, okay. in terms of recruitment because we're looking for, we have pretty strict inclusion and exclusion criteria for the people. So um, they have to meet a lot of these criteria and, and um, that can be difficult to, to find that person. And so when we found a person who, you know, matched and fit the criteria, then we were pretty motivated to, you know, enroll them, obviously. So that so was... So were you... Did you have a minimum age as part of your criteria? Yeah. Okay. And we had to have adults. So eight, okay. 18 and over mm -hmm. um, was, was where we were going. And, you know, it turns out the other reason that we were kind of targeting um, adults is because... Oddly enough, it turns out there's actually less information available for adults than there is for children. Oh, so, okay. um, so um, you know, that's kind of why we ended up with um, specifically focusing on adults. Although I have been contacted by many, many people with children who have this condition who were hoping to enroll. But, right. you know, obviously that just gets a little bit more complicated in terms of the IRB approval and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, so, and then in terms of um, extrapolating, I think, um, you know, the the best opportunity I think we're going to have to extrapolate is with that, um, you know, physiological data, the more objective data. So if we see, for example, within a person or within these uh, people in the study that um, that there is a reduction in seizures as a consequence of them using the CW, then that would be, um, you know, good pilot data for moving forward in a, a larger grant and, you know, um, trying to 
figure out, um, you know, exactly what levels people should be taking, what's ideal. Um, a much larger study is mm-hmm. what, what would have to be done next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. This, like, this is, just seems like the base ground. It's a, and, then totally. you can, and then you can continue on with experimenting with different age groups. Exactly. Yeah, so we're just trying to get, you know, I mean, that what it's happening. So it's happening that people with medically refractory epilepsy are, are going down this path. And so the study is trying to capitalize, okay, well, is it, is there a benefit to them from for doing that in in their mental health or in their seizures or, or any of that? So, um, so it is very basic um, kind of exploratory study that's hopefully going to, um, you know, build some information that we can, um, you know, then move on to, to mm-hmm. kind of a, maybe a randomized control trial or something like that. Yeah. And we talked about some of the risks that could potentially come up with cannabis among this age group, mm-hmm. adults. Do you think those risks are the same for children? Do you think there's more risks? Less yeah, I think the risks are going to be more for, okay. for children. You know, I think anytime you're dealing with medication in kids and their brains are still developing, you yeah. have to be more cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it does make sense to, yeah. to start with the, the adults. Yeah, the yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess the other thing that's that's difficult is, you know, there's so much publicity around cannabis and, and epilepsy and CBD in particular. Um, but at this point, unless you have um, the Lennox Gusteau or the Dravet diagnosis, um, you can't get the epidiolics for which we have dosage information and all that kind of stuff. So these people are all just left like, okay. Yeah, they're excited. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And they really need help. Right, right. Um, yeah. So so I know from your paper that one of your patients had a surgery midway through the process, midway through the um, research trial for an ovarian cyst. So that was kind of just a random thing, but I understand you were able to draw... Um, kind of think about a new angle. So, um, yeah, so how did this impact the studies and what conclusions were you able to to draw from it? So, um, you know, she was in pretty bad shape for a couple of weeks. Um, She uh, stopped recording for a short period of time. Um, uh, But she didn't you know, radically alter anything with her medication or anything like that. She kind of just kept going. And, um, you know, that's sort of a a feature of many people in the studies um, that um, they have difficult health and difficult life circumstances. I had two people lose their mother while, um, you know, while they were in the study. And I think the nature of the study being six months long, you're going to see more of life stuff happening to to people. And a lot of outside effects. Yeah, exactly. They do affect quality of life. Right, yeah. And so, you know, there's not a whole lot that we can do, you know, Mm -hmm. about life just happens, right? And so, um, so, you know, but at the same time, certainly we know that – stress is going to affect seizures. So virtually everyone in the study says they feel like their seizures are worse when they're really stressed out. And with her data in particular, um, the time to visit um, was sort of around the time frame when this stuff was happening. And so if you look at her data in terms of quality of life, um, uh, it sort of gets worse at that time two visit before it gets better at the time three visit. So you can uh-huh. definitely kind of see that reflected in the data. Um, and we can't draw any kind of conclusions from this one person. Um, but, um, you know, we do know that um, 
that there is a, a tendency um, or an association with between ovarian cysts and epilepsy. And in fact, there's um, certain type of medication that people can take that is also kind of connected with developing cysts and things like that. Oh, so, really? yeah, okay. so you have to be um, careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that and that sounds probably like a different topic yeah. entirely. But I, I do know we were briefly chatting before about potentially some connections between um, shifts in hormone levels and seizures. Yeah, sure. So um, there's, you know, literature out there that um, indicates that, um, you know, that hormones um, can affect seizures. And so there's a condition that's called catamenial epilepsy. And this is um, about a third of women who have epilepsy um, have um, seizures that sort of fluctuate with their cycle and typically they um, seem to get worse right before um, somebody um, has their period and um, they think that this is due to sort of a drop off in progesterone which seems to have sort of an anti-seizure type effect to it. So there's definitely a, a connection and, um, you know, stress hormones and hormones and things are, are you know, certainly have the potential to um, exacerbate seizures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, shifting back to cannabis. So we did talk about, um, well, we've talked about epidiolics throughout this conversation. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about the intersection between cannabis and big pharma and how the results of your study might differ from the results of this cl- clinical trial with Epidiolex, and um, yeah, what are your thoughts on how, yeah, how cannabis should be regulated and administered to patients suffering from epilepsy? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, I think I'm, you know, I think what uh, GW has done with Epidiolex is really amazing, and, and thank goodness for them sort of, um, you know, pushing the envelope and getting those those studies done so we can start to help those kids. Um, you know, but at the same time, cannabis is a, a natural plant, right. and I think that people should have, you know, options about what, you know, what they want to use, right? right. Um, the main issue is that, you know, much, much more research needs to be done in terms of trying to even answer questions like, um, you know, is a whole plant type preparation going to be better for the treatment of epilepsy than uh, a purified extract? And, you know, we also need to start to learn about, um, you know, which forms of cannabis might work best for which forms of epilepsy. And, right. and we don't have any of that information. Yeah, so like what kind of varieties of cannabis exactly. are, are more... And maybe some a certain variety is more effective in treating a particular type of epilepsy versus another. Exactly. I'd so. love to, you know, go down that path and, and yeah. start to try and, you know, learn that, that information. Yeah, um, I think that's super interesting. And that's something that you can't have yeah. in, like, um, cre- in creating synthetic cannabinoids yes. or... Um, if you're, you know, if you're extract, if you're just doing a really intense extraction where you're only having the CBD, yeah, you kind of lose that. Yeah, all the different dimensions from the plant. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other thing that's a major point of complication in this is um, the the plant itself. So when I started learning about the plant. Um, 
you know, I was told that, you know, even if you take the same exact seed, strain, everything, um, grow it in the same grow house right next to each other under the, all the same conditions, if you harvest one a couple of hours later than the other, it's going to have a different phytocannabinoid profile. And so oh, wow. con- how, how to control the constituents of the plant um, and you know, get them in those ratios that you think you might want to use for, for research and then be able to produce that consistently is, is an issue. I'm not sure exactly how, you know, that's going to, that's going to be tackled. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a challenge when people are using this for medication and you kind of start to expect the same standards. Exactly. Exactly. Compounds every single time. Yeah. There can be slight nuances and slight varieties when it's grown in these cultivations. Yeah, that's right. And if you find, you know, let's say you find that, you know, something that has uh, THC and CBD and a certain pattern of um, terpenes and things, um, you know, has a really good effect for you, you want to be able to get that same thing again. Right, right. You know, yeah. that exact same thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's a major challenge yeah. in dispensaries. And we have another episode on that in terms of oh. actually a lot of strains are being um, cat, or a lot of strains have, might have the same name, but have completely different yes. compounds or terpenes or cannabinoid profiles. Exactly. Uh, but we don't really have a standardized system in cannabis right now. Yes. And the other issue, too, is um, there's been literature that investigated the accuracy of the labels on the products that you buy, and it's sorely lacking. Yeah. So um, there's, you know, definitely a lot that kind of needs to be done in terms of bringing... Um, you know, medical cannabis to, um, you know, really be uh, like a medical treatment, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's reliable and consistent and all of that. So got a yeah. ways to go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'd like to wrap up with a fun question. Um, so what are you most excited about in your research going forward? Or, or if there's one question that you could have an answer to um, oh. <laughs> regarding cannabis and, and epilepsy, what would it be? Um, that's a good question. You know, I guess I really would, I would like to start to get at the whole plant versus extract. So, you know, I think something like a clinical trial where you're comparing the CW product to Epidiolex in terms of its effectiveness, I think something like that would be really interesting. I'd also, um, you know, really like to um, get to the point where um, <clears throat> where we're studying um, people with certain forms of epilepsy that are, you know, as close in form as they can be and, mm-hmm. and start to figure out, you know, what product um, might work best for, yes, for that. Yes, because it sounds like your past research study, they were all over the it, map. They're not really all over the map. The vast mm-hmm. majority of the people in my study are using CW and they're, oh, okay. and they're using it in fairly similar ways, you know, similar quantities and things like that. There are some other people in the study that were, you know, not using that. Um, But, um, yeah, so I don't know where to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, yeah, we're really excited to get this out. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Cannabis Science Today is so generously supported by the Agricultural Genomics Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to educating the public on scientific research findings on cannabis. If you're interested in donating to this cause or sponsoring an episode of this podcast, 
where we research a scientific research question or theme of your choice, please contact us through agriculturalgenomics.org.